The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox and these are your headlines. Taper talks begin, but minutes from the latest Fed meeting reveals some members are still looking for more economic progress before tightening policy. Finance ministers and central bankers meet in Venice today ahead of this weekend's G20 summit where they're expected to endorse the global corporate tax deal. The OECD Secretary General Matthias Cormann will join us at 9.05 CET. Elsewhere, the ECB will announce the outcome of its first strategic review since 2003. That's later today, where it's expected to redefine its inflation target. Plus, Google facing a slew of antitrust lawsuits connected to its app store, whilst the former US president, Mr. Trump, announces legal action against the search engine along with Facebook and Twitter, that for banning him from their platforms. And England fans dare to dream as the three Lions reach their first major final since 1966. England and Italy will meet this weekend, potentially in front of a full Wembley Stadium. That's for the first time since the pandemic. Well, there are a few people uh, rubbing their eyes in disbelief this morning, but I don't think it's about the football. I think it's about the Federal Reserve, quite frankly. Good morning, Steve. Ten-year yield. Yeah. Four months low. One point. Football's coming, Rome. I'm told. Is that right? (laughs) Did you still see that one? No, but it's very very good. good. In the other semi-final, it was football's coming, Rome. Good, good, good wit from the Italians there. No, no, terrific. So let's have a little chat about this. Well, let me walk you through the story first, and then we'll get into the detail. Uh, The Fed has begun (laughs) to debate in earnest the timeline for scaling back pandemic-era stimulus programs. But according to the FOMC minutes, policymakers felt, quote, substantial progress on the recovery had not yet been met. The central bank said it remained ready to act if inflation or other risks intensified. The Treasury curve, well, we just mentioned this, and I think that's the thing that the market is grappling with at the moment, that even as there is this rattling of sabres around the prospect of moving an interest rate rise uh, to 2023 rather than 2024, the curve suggests that actually the market isn't convinced necessarily about the need for higher rates tighter monetary conditions. Let's just have a look at the dollar crosses. I think one area perhaps where some of this is bleeding into the market has been some of the nascent strength we've seen in the dollar. But look at it this morning. Not much really to pull out of this to suggest that there is conviction in any direction on the dollar at the moment. And I suspect what you're seeing in these individual trades has a lot to do with the currency against the dollar rather than the dollar per se. I love words. There's some great words out there like balderdash and codswallop. But I mean, I think the market's deciphering of the words from the Fed is 
quite brilliant. The way, and the Fed's putting those words out there and saying, yes, we've made progress, mm. but not substantial further progress. That's the big difference. Mm. That is the big difference. If the market had read the, word, read the word substantial further progress in the affirmative yesterday, we'd be off to the races on the yield. Mm. The, the, the tenure would be falling through the floor, or maybe even up to, I don't know, March levels or something crazy. Mm. But the fact of the matter is because it wasn't substantial further progress, which is the standard for the Fed to then start the tapering process, it seems the markets go, it's all right, nothing to see here, nothing at all. Uh, and the markets, well, the markets actually were absolutely Absolutely benign in the extreme yesterday. Look at the Nasdaq. Uh, that, that's another record, by the way, up 0.01 of a percent. The S&P, uh, another record, up three tenths of one percent. The Dow, uh, within I'll get this right, 1.17 percent. There you go, uh, of its record levels. So the markets go, yeah, nothing there to scare us at all. But I mean, there is more data out there, and, and I can't believe how you lot. Well, I can believe because I've, I've seen it for three decades. But but it's it's all black and white for you guys. It's all binary. It's all one and zero. There is no nuance to anything out there for you as well. And the fact of the matter is the data is nuanced. I'm not telling you that there is inflation out there. I'm not telling you that the jobs market is off to the races. But you lot out there have assumed the opposite. It's so benign. It's so Goldilocks. And that really worries me as well, because when you've got VIX levels trading down 30 odd percent for the year and markets trading at record levels and yields trading at four months lows, despite the fact that yesterday you saw record levels of job openings in the United States. What's the, what, you weren't looking at that bit? You were just looking at the substantial further progress bit not being in a statement? There were jolts figures yesterday, which were, yeah, they were consistent with the previous months, but they were record levels. There are record job openings of 9.2 million in the United States. Hirings, yeah, it dipped from 6 million, but there's still 5.9 million hirings going on out there as well. Quits rate is still uh, pretty much at all-time highs, give or take. 3.6 million. 3.6 million Americans felt they could quit last month. That's how economically secure they feel. There are job shortages in many, many sectors out there. But you carry on with your 130 yields on the 10-year. You make that binary decision. Let's have a look elsewhere what's going on in the oil markets as well. This is interesting. I mean, you've got this spat of all spats going on between former erstwhile allies, UAE and Saudi. And you haven't really uh, got any progress on a cohesive policy into the second half of the year. I still think, actually, the market's being very well behaved. I think in this market, you've got some real logic. We got up to $77 and a bit of change on Brent. We've come off a little bit, but not so much to absolutely upset anyone at OPEC as well. 72 bucks on WTI, 73 and some change on Brent. These are still very high levels. Now, let's have a look at the Chinese listing story. Karen and Jeff I, were waxing lyrically and beautifully yesterday uh, on the DD story and what the bigger ramifications are. We'll, we'll get some more on this a little bit later on. It's safe to say DD lost another 4.6% to compound losses for the week. Uh, what else can I show you that's of interest? In fact, all of them are interesting as well. The fact that a couple of them, JD.com and Kanzoom, were in the green, I think that was very interesting. Let's have a look at the Asian indices where we're trading on this one as well. We are down 2% on the Hang Seng. Uh, ASX 200 trading mildly in positive territory. Mm. I know that markets can only go in one direction. I've seen the blinkers going on mm. uh, and one story dominating uh, for periods at a time as well. But where's the subtlety? Where's the, the pragmatism in markets? 
Look, nuance is difficult. If you've got a momentum trade but in one direction or the nuanced. other. Well, yeah, very good for you. <laughs> but very hard, I think, for market participants, maybe particularly the retail participant who has been stuffing money into equity markets like it's going out of fashion. We're seeing new records printed in terms of the amount of money now that is finding its way into equity ETFs. Interestingly, not so much sovereign bond ETFs, which is a bit of a shift, I think, in some of the flow trends that we've seen. But interesting, this data suggests that the retail participant is either all in or very keen on getting all in at this point. And yet, as you say, the data points are confusing if you are trying to pull what the Chinese say, um, pulling uh, bones from fish soup, which is, of course, sounds delicious, impossible. Uh, because there aren't bones in soup, are there? Uh, unless you make them with the, in the... Anyway, let's not go there, but I think you understand the point I'm trying I to make. I haven't got a clue. But what's, what's interesting, I looked at a... a there was a terrific UBS survey of institutional investors that was out yesterday, and the main concern still remains for the institutional investors, it seems to me, the inflation V's deflation story. And the result on their survey was something like 76%, I think, of those who responded said that this was their key worry, mm. followed not far away by the pandemic. But of course, I'm still reading lots of other stories at the moment that are saying, well, remember what happened after the Spanish flu? We had the roaring 20s and we're still set up here for the roaring 2021s, 2022s. But yeah. It's not then, that Then a clear. crash, then a war. No, then a and crash, then a depression, then a war. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just but, so but, we got our chronology right. But, but it's not that. When you look at the behaviour, well, the, the, the board's gone now, but when you look at the behaviour of the Treasury curve, it doesn't confirm that idea in the market's mind that we are headed for something like the Roaring Twenties. If mm. anything, it's beginning to suggest that the market is worried about a, a whiff of either stagflation or deflation returning. We go back to pre-COVID conditions, really, where we're worrying about the end of a cycle who was it told and me? the resilience was of it the Jeffrey consumer. Jeffrey Yu, who said to me from Bank of New York, mm. there isn't a central banker out there, 90% who would agree with me uh, that actually um, it's a sign of success if they get to their inflation targets out there. And that means they can uh, pretty much raise interest rates. Well, what has happened when you've got, and this is why I love this ECB review, by the way, mm. later on today as well. And, and you hear that alongside the political review as well. And, and what these reviews are saying is, well, we're not getting to our 2%. 2% as you've said for about 20 years to me now, yeah. is an arbitrary level. We're going we're gonna to shift our um, expectations on a 2% level. And I'm sure that will happen. And it's the same with the Stability and Growth Pact as well. Well, 60% debt to GDP plus the deficit figure. They, they haven't happened for a long while for most of us, so we'll ignore that as well. So it's like uh, the, the changing perceptions on the rules as well. It's like what happened to measures of success being that actually you have to raise your rates to normalise them. What is a normalised interest rate? Well, for a lot of our life, it's been, what, between 4 and 6% uh, for, from somewhere like the Fed as well. But what's a normalised rate now when we even get, if we ever get rate rises uh, in the next couple of years as well? A couple of percent? Is that, will they call that the normalised rate now as well? Right. So uh, perceptions have changed. The only thing I'll say, and you mentioned the retail investor as well, yeah. is I don't think, uh, it sounds rude, I don't think most people care about valuations, about the stuff that you and I and Karen bang on about on a daily basis. All they care about is whether it's going up or not. Uh, buy on green, sell on red. Yeah. Is there a bubble in the market? 
I mean, if you listen to uh, Gene Farmer, he would say bubbles don't exist. Um, the market pricing is the appropriate pricing because all information is in the market, of course, a, a version of mm. um, efficiency uh, uh, theory. Um, of course, if you listen to Schiller or others on the other side of the camp, they will tell you that for periods of time, for reasons of ease of monetary conditions or fiscal stimulus, you can end up with a state in the markets where prices are running well in yeah. excess of yeah. intrinsic value. And that's when you have to begin thinking about that wonderful concept, margin of safety. And I would encourage you know, our audience, as they watch us every day, talk about these changes in sentiment around the Fed's decision-making. Remember your margin of safety in whatever trade you're engaged in. All of the above. Do you want to get to Jim? Shall we bring Jim in? Uh, Jim O'Sullivan is Chief US Macro Strategist at TD Securities. Jim, great to see you this morning. Give us your interpretation of what we learned from the Federal Reserve. Um, well, of course, three weeks ago, they, they sounded fairly upbeat. The, the dot plot with rate hikes uh, moved up for 2023, and they started to talk about the tapering process. I mean, I think relative to that, maybe some people would have considered today a little more dovish than expected in that they barely started to talk about tapering. Um, I mean, it, it's clear they're still pretty optimistic, but there's enough uncertainty and they're being careful enough to avoid a taper tantrum again that they want to go very slowly. But the message is there that if the economy continues to improve, I mean, they will be tapering before too long, but not immediately. Our own guess is that they probably won't actually announce the start of the tapering till December. So we've got a good few months to go before that. Esteemed colleague, Steve, always on the button, of course, points out the employment issues that the Fed is having to conjure with at the moment. And surely they must be just scratching their head here because the vacancies are through the roof. Uh, the um, non-farm payrolls number that we had out Friday was, was not bad at all. And yet we continue to hear about people walking away from their jobs, that the participation rate isn't growing as aggressively as the Fed would like. And of course, there are continuing issues around the headline unemployment number and the hourly earnings figures. How do you think the Fed is viewing this labour market story at the moment? Because it seems a lot of people are just not going back to work, either because their life view has changed because of COVID or that they're quite happy taking the checks from the government. Well, I think the Fed is reluctant, understandably, to simply extrapolate from what you're seeing in the numbers right now. I mean, we've obviously gone through a, 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 a pandemic and a, unprecedented time for, for all of us. And yeah, a lot of people are not quite ready to go back to work for various reasons. And part of it is being afraid of COVID. Part of it is not being able to get childcare. Part of it is because how generous unemployment benefits are. And, and certainly all those things should evolve over time. And I think the expectation is rightly so that the supply will come back and that the participation rate will come back some more. Now, do we necessarily go all the way back to where it was in February 2020 when it was uh, 63.3%? It's 61.6% right now. Probably not. There's a secular downturn in that number anyway. So even in normal times, there's probably a, a little bit of a downtrend every year. But I think Fed officials are willing to uh, give it time that we will get the supply coming back on. In the meantime, on the demand side, yeah, there's a lot of demand there. And obviously, employment is growing pretty rapidly. 50 a month, 850,000 a month is, is a pretty strong number, obviously, historically. 
Tim, I've got a really simple question. If our viewers buy treasuries at the current levels, uh, and I use a benchmark for that, the 1.313% yield on the 10-year, will they make or lose money over the rest of the year? Um, well, we would say probably lose. Um, I mean, certainly our, our, uh, our, our rate strategists at, at TD Securities are calling for 2% at the end of the year. I mean, I mean, obviously the Fed has been very wary here about another taper tantrum, remembering 2013. Um, and they're going very slowly on the taper process, just starting to talk about talking about it, et cetera. And they're going to slowly, I think, start building up the signal and potentially stepping it up a little bit, maybe even next week when the chairman has a semi-annual testimony in Congress. So they've got to start stepping it up. They don't want to taper tantrum, but 10-year yields have dropped about 40 basis points in April, since April. So I don't think that's what they want either. It's, it's hard to get it right. But yeah, we would say if the economy continues to improve and labor market continues to improve, yeah, a lot of the inflation is transitory, but it's entirely transitory, maybe not. Ultimately, the Fed is tapering. It's not an environment where 10-year yields probably should be 130. Yeah, I mean, again, my esteemed colleague very often uses the boiled frog analogy and the gently simmering frog would probably be what you're saying is the Federal Reserve would like. Uh, it's a bigger leap, as you say, from 130 to 2 rather than the previous 170, 175 to 2 as well. Uh, th this has gone too far for the Federal Reserve. People have taken them too much at their word, haven't they? What are the risks here uh, of them getting behind the curve and being too slow? Well, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, something they're they're aware of, and they keep saying, we have the tools. I mean, if it turns out that inflation does not down in 2022 to something more like 2%, I mean, it, it's clearly higher than, it's over 3% right now. I mean, three and a half to four, I mean, depending which PC number you look at, and even five if you look at the CPI. But I think there's a, there's a very strong argument that a lot of that is transitory. You now, Fed officials are saying largely transitory. They're not necessarily saying entirely. Plus, they wanted inflation to pick up a little bit. But should it happen that inflation is still 3% in 2022, then yeah, they'd have to move more aggressively. They'd have to start tapering more quickly. And ultimately, they've got to tighten as well. But uh, we would say they, they can take their time, that a lot of this is indeed transitory, that inflation will be coming back down in 2022. And you'll have an unemployment rate that is still certainly higher than it was pre-COVID when it was 3.5%. So um, there are always risks in both directions. And if it turns out that they're underestimating inflation into 2022 and inflation expectations start soaring, then, yeah, they'd have to move more aggressively, no question. But I, I, don't, I don't think it's a high risk myself. Um, Jim, if the market is um, the collective wisdom of all investors, particularly in the fixed income market, what does the 10-year Treasury yield at 131 tell us about the market's view of the economic recovery? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not quite clear. And, and it's not cl quite clear why the bond market has rallied as much as it has recently. I mean, there's certainly there's always a narrative to fit, fit the story and whether people are worried about the global recovery with the Delta variant and whether people are fearful that the Fed is going to tighten too much or the, fearful that all the stimulus that we have right now is, is going to fade and as you get into 2022, the economy is going to weaken a lot more. And, and certainly there is an argument that we are getting a lot of help right now from fiscal stimulus and reopening. And over the course of the next year, they will fade with fiscal stimulus, even to the point of turning contractionary somewhat in 2022. So whether markets have started to worry more about those downside scenarios, it's, it's hard to say. Again, how much of it is worried about worries about COVID still 
uh, with, with Delta variant, all that. I mean, certainly the numbers in the U.S. right now are still looking pretty positive. I mean, a lot of the issue, I think, is in the emerging market world rather than the developed world in terms of the risks. And so, yeah, the short answer is <laughs> I don't quite understand why the 10-year has rallied as much as it has over the last couple of months. And I mean, it, it seems like it, it should be higher. Jim, 18 minutes past one in the morning, uh, 19 minutes now. Great effort for that time of day as ever. Nice to see you, Jim. Thanks very much indeed for your time. You Jim O'Sullivan, Chief U.S. Macro Strategist at TD Securities. And uh, my prompt isn't working, so I'll just try and read on about ECB strategy. So the ECB made a surprise announcement saying policymakers have agreed on the results of the central bank's 19-month-long strategy review. It's the ECB's first one in almost two decades and was not expected until September. The president, Christine Lagarde, is expected to amend the inflation target to 2% and allow room to overshoot it where needed. Post-fact rationalisation? I don't know. Uh, the bank is always also expected to address climate change and housing costs. We'll bring you the details of that announcement, 1430 CT. Just let me read that again. So let's have a... 19-month review, yeah. almost two decades, is now expected to amend the inflation target to allow it to overshoot. Right. Right. What about... Uh, am, I being, am I missing the point here? Doesn't it, hasn't it undershot? I mean, yes. a target, it's so arbitrary, it's ridiculous. Yes. It's undershot for most of the last decade, yeah? Yes. And the rest. Yes. But, but it's interesting if we now decide that we're going to move the target because we haven't been able to hit the target using the tools that we claim would be able to hit the but target. But now there's a chance of actually hitting target. We're going to amend the target so yes. they can overshoot. What about having a look at the tools and asking yourself whether they have actually made any difference to inflation expectations? The tools That's are just buying idea. everything in sight. Is that, what you, that one, that tool? Well, just maybe argue it, making the case that by uh, deliberately trying to uh, lower interest rates, you've actually discouraged risk-taking activity no, by right. those who would put capital to work no, in the hope of a return no. because you've ultimately suppressed returns across the no, curve. No, no, no. Let, right, let me put myself in the shoe of a rich German saver, maybe via the sparkasm, maybe via my pension. So you, hang on. So you, if you take away my income mm. and you take away the money I could earn from interest, mm. you expect me to spend more money? That's the theory. Okay. Uh, coming up on the programme, uh, G20 finance ministers meet in Venice with officials expected to discuss plans for a global corporate minimum tax. We will be back with that story in a moment. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
finance ministers and central bank governors are in Venice, where they're expected to endorse the deal on a global corporate tax rate this weekend. The reform put forward by the OECD has already been backed by 130 countries, but there are some notable exceptions, of course, including Ireland and Hungary. The G20 meeting kicks off with a side event hosted by the OECD today. Aneta is in Venice and has more on this story. Aneta, good morning to you. Interesting, they never hold these things in Rimini, do they, or Turin. They always go to Venice or somewhere nice. But anyway, um, setting that aside, in terms of how you get the Irish or the Hungarians or the Latvians or whoever else is holding out on this, how do you get them to fall in line here? Are we going to see um, a little bit of uh, pork barrel politics taking place as promises are made to get their agreement. Well, uh, that could be the case. And it could also be that the minimum tax rate will actually be raised. Janet Yellen just was calling for a higher minimum tax rate yesterday. So I guess the details are still not yet ratified and the deal is not like done. Uh, and, and so we are going to hear more from, I think, various parts here on the ground on that issue and what could happen as a compromise. That's one big topic here during the G20. But of course, we're also going to talk about debt relief over the weekend, uh, especially for the most vulnerable countries uh, in Africa, vulnerable to climate change, because climate change is another big topic here on the agenda over that long weekend of the G20 summit. But of course, everything that will be overshadowed also by uh, discussions of a fourth wave of coronavirus across Europe. We are seeing a spike in Spain, and nobody knows what that actually going to mean for the economic recovery. And another big topic, obviously, is the economy as such, whether the economy will evolve strongly in the second half of this year or not, or whether we need more support measures kicking in. And of course, in the end, uh, all pans down to the debt level, which we are going to see after the pandemic uh, recovery will, or after the, the support measures will be, um, gone, will be gone. What can the countries do with all the debt? I'm going to speak first on CNBC here uh, to Matthias Korman, the Secretary General of the OECD at nine o'clock CET here, live on the ground in Venice, about all these topics and especially also about job creation because that's their big topic that the economies need to create jobs because there have been so many jobs lost during the crisis. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.